0: I really believe that women should be able to own their own experiences and when talking about what they went through themselves they should be allowed to express themselves in the way that they want to you know so when I write my blogs about you know what Happened to me, you know, I do look out this window that's to my right and remember the time that, you know, I just kept buying juice extractors in the midst of mania from QVC. <laughs> you know, they just kind of piled up in the garden outside. You know, what well, the day I ran down the road, you know, with no clothes on when John went to work. If we hide these things and don't talk about them and the things which can be upsetting or difficult, women are never going to have something to identify with. So when I was really ill, all I did genuinely was Google. Um, not wanting to have a baby forever because I was so scared of that you know and I was desperate to find somebody who had felt that exact same symptoms as me and of course you realise then women are experiencing a raft of symptoms and they were all desperate to find somebody who's been through something similar to them to give them the hope of recovery yeah so I kind of feel like we have to let women know their experience because it validates their experience and then it helps them to get better go to the doctor if you feel like you can't be around your baby because you're worried about something you're not going to do anything but know it's okay to say to your doctor this is what I'm actually thinking because if you don't then you don't get the help which can specifically help you to get better.
1: Having a baby is meant to be the most joyful time of your life but for many mums and dads it can be the hardest and at times the darkest of places. Welcome to Blue Mum Day's the podcast for anyone struggling with parenting. Today's guest is perinatal mental health blogger, peer supporter and charity campaigner, Eve Canavan, BEM. Having suffered from postpartum psychosis 12 years ago after the birth of her son, Eve now does extensive voluntary work to support maternal mental health. Eve is a founding member of the Perinatal Mental Health Partnership, an organization comprised of national charities and individuals with lived experience of mental illness after the birth of a child. Eve is also the lead coordinator on the creation of the UK Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week, which takes place each May. The week is now in its sixth year and a global success. Eve is a media volunteer for the charity's Action on Postpartum Psychosis and Mind and she worked with the BBC soap opera, EastEnders, where a postpartum psychosis storyline was partly based on her own experience. She won the Speaking Out Award at the 2016 Mind Media Awards for her support in the storyline. Eve was awarded a British Empire Medal by Her Majesty in the 2017 Queen's Birthday Honours for her services to mental health. Crikey, this is the shortened bio Eve, so (laughs) you've just done some (laughs) incredible stuff. Before we get going, I just wanted to say to people, obviously, this is going to be a real conversation about postpartum psychosis. So it may be triggering. Please listen with discretion and we will signpost you to help in the show notes. This story is very much shared from the heart. So we don't want to do anything that may trigger you. But welcome to Blue Mum Days Eve, it's an absolute delight to have you on the show. I've been wanting to have you on as a guest for the longest time and finally here we are, we've made it. We have made
0: it, thank you. I'm so happy to have been asked to do it and I've been listening to the podcast over the last few weeks and it's so interesting to hear the kind of range of experiences and you know the the range of support people accessed and and actually also then to, to show the faces of recovery essentially and you know the line being that you can and do get better and I think forums like this you know show that and they show their kind of you know the, the story of what happened to people overcoming that and then how people such as myself then are using our experiences in different ways to give hope to women but also as well I think maybe give us some advice to healthcare professionals who you know support women and their families through the perinatal period um, to kind of give a bit of the lived experience kind of take on things to help inform their understanding and also to help them with people on their road to recovery. But I'm really happy to be here. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And you're absolutely right. Sharing our stories and covering all the different permutations of the perinatal mental illness that there, there are so many different things. And why I wanted to speak to you in particular was because of your experience of postpartum psychosis, because PND on its own is still stigmatized, yeah. but postpartum psychosis, even more so, and it's even less understood. And I think you're absolutely right that the work you've done in helping educate health advisors, as well as offering peer support to mums that have been through it themselves, is so important. And yeah, I, I'm such an admirer of your openness and honesty. And I love the way you tell it like it is. <laughs> it's warts and all and that is so refreshing because so many people kind of sanitize their their experience or don't talk about the really grotty stuff and I love the fact that you you are just yourself no filters and that is such a breath of fresh air in this area so Eve 12 years ago um you had your your little boy or not so little boy now (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit about yourself before you were pregnant you know what was Eve like before motherhood?
0: Yeah of course yeah so I had Joe. well I think it's probably considered quite young now I had him when I was 29 Um, and uh, it was a bit of a you know X factory journey to have him you know I've got a a condition called uterus to delphis which is a, a double womb and split vaginal septum so and I'd been pregnant a number of times before Jo kind of actually arrived and um once they discovered I had a, a double womb both wombs are very small um you know I was kind of told that I would not might not be able to carry a baby to term and of course that happened on occasion to us so we kind of went through a period of lost before Joe came along but I think before that I was I know that is I think I was really happy-go-lucky you know I'm a uh, an extrovert with a shyness attached to me at times you know I was always quite open and quite non-filtered I think that's always kind of come through but actually also I think Quite interestingly, I was very shy at talking out in public forums about anything, you know, kind of to do with myself. But I was very, I was kind of happy-go-lucky and full of life. Like I think, you know, someone described me once having a real zest for life. But I kind of maybe was a bit anxious about being me, if that makes sense, and kind of how people uh responded to me in ways. Um and which I think has changed, you know, dramatically in the past twelve years. And I've learned almost who I am, and I, it's okay to be who I am. And what I went through has almost shaped, you know, how I am. But yeah, I was—I loved going out. I ran a pub, you know. I lived in a pub. I'm a civil servant. I had about four hundred different jobs, you know, and I loved them all. And just had a a lovely little life. Um, and uh, when Joe kind of arrived after many years of us thinking that we wouldn't have a baby. Uh, it all went wrong according to all the things that I've read and heard would happen once I eventually had my much longed for baby. <laughs> you know, kind of, uh, uh, I went from this kind of lovely little life in this flat that we have now with all our bright colors everywhere and nothing matching and all the stuff that I like to kind of, in this sea of doom and gloom, you know, this sea of doom and gloom. I look around now and think these, these walls could talk all the memories uh, and all the you know all the different moods they've seen me experience.
1: So yeah, I think that's that's so interesting, actually, that you've been in the same location all of that time. You know, one of the mums that I spoke to, Hannah Hardy- Jones, she actually moved to get away from her yeah. experiences, and obviously that isn't an option that's available to everybody. And I really hope that you're able to enjoy where you live now and that it's filled with so many good times they outweigh the dark times that you experience there. Very interesting as well like you were saying about you know how people sort of have changed their reaction to you and about how sort of at one point early on you were perhaps not sort of feeling that you could be yourself but I think the fact that you are yourself in your blogs and you know have been so open but also incredibly (laughs) bloody funny I mean that's what I love about it that you're talking about something so so serious and so so dark but you're still finding humor in it and and I think that combination and you being who you are is why the blog has been so successful and it's been I think was it 15,000
0: Oh, Oh, hun- one
1: hundred sixty-five thousand. What? What? <laughs> one
0: hundred sixty-five
1: thousand. That that buy is out of date. It says something about fifteen thousand. <laughs> That's like. And,
0: and do you know what? You know, I, I often look at my blog, which I made on my phone. You know, when Joe was five, I think, and of course he's now twelve. You know, and it is just like an old WordPress blog that we had when blogging was a real big thing lots of years ago, before we had Instagram and things like that. And I keep thinking, oh, maybe I should jazz it up, but actually. Um, one I haven't really got the time to do that but two I think it's really I've realised now what a powerful form of words is and someone has said to me once the words kind of dance on the page when they read it if they come to life and I think I've realised I really love writing I think that's come out of this Um, and I think it's a for me I When I speak about mental illness or mental illness affecting women and families while they're pregnant or after birth of a child, it's an incredibly serious event that happens to people, you know, and it's incredibly traumatising. And, you know, my goodness, you know, what we went through is something I would never wish on anybody else again, which is why we do what we do. But, you know, and I think I've said this to you before, you know, in our friendship chats, I really believe that women should be able to own their own experiences and when talking about what they went through themselves they should be allowed to express themselves in the way that they want to you know so when I write my blogs about you know what happened to me you know I do look out this window to my right and remember the time that you know I just kept buying juice extractors in the midst of mania from QVC <laughs> you know they just kind of piled up in the garden outside you know what the day I ran down the road you know with no clothes on when John went to work you know uh, and uh, where I've kind of been acting okay and then just kind of flipped. And, you know, for me, I'm not creating a funniness out of it to try and cope with it it's a way of thinking well actually that happened to me I know it happened to me that is actually what happened you know I bought four gazillion (laughs) do six taxes you know you know I did do these things you know that and I should be allowed to say that and not feel bad for my experience you know for for saying that um you know what I think uh you know, one of my friends wrote a book called bonkers you know to ex- ex- live Segal to explain their uh you know uh experience with mental illness and it's such a brilliant book how she you know w- when she talks about it and you know i think well actually it is a bit of a bonkers experience you know i say to joe while you're doing something bonkers we should be able to attach words to our own experience knowing that that's okay and owning it and when you when i talk professionally about it i talk in a different way because that is the correct thing to do but You know, I do look back and I think one of the reasons I do it is that when I look at photos, I say to John, oh, I was smiling in that one. Oh, I'm laughing in that one. And he says, because in the midst of all the horror, you know, and it took me essentially three years to get completely better, you know, you are funny. You were living your life. There were moments of light. You know, there was the time that I squirted someone. You know, kind of when I moved my boob on the train while I was feeding Joe. You know, there's all. These, there are, you know, there are these. You know, there are times I wet myself while being at
1: soft play. You know, you just think, well, why would I? I think we've all been there. I remember going on a trampoline soon after giving birth, and that was <laughs> never again at a child's
0: no birthday one, party. <laughs> no one tells you. and I like, know people say we're a lot more open now, but. Honestly, we read things that go, "Oh, you know, um, you know, mummy might leak a bit, or you know, or I wet myself." Obviously, actually, no, I I was full on wetting myself. Why did no one tell me you could just full on wet yourself, not just yeah. drink or poo yourself? People poo themselves, yes. and no one tells you. These are women that you poo themselves, and that it's okay to do it, but it's not okay to carry on suffering because you deserve to be like not poo yourself. But
1: no one actually says that these things happen. Mm. and that they're, they're a lot more common you know after you've given birth and like the lack of dignity and your body is never what it was before you had your no. baby if you if you have a, a vaginal birth and especially if you've had tears or episiotomies or anything like that but it's yeah nobody talks about it and you feel so self-conscious anyway and then if you don't talk about these things you think you're the only person in the world going through it yeah you know friends of mine who were like doubly incontinent for a year because of their birth experience and that's you know horrible but there is help available
0: yeah absolutely
1: but you're absolutely right all the, all the things like I didn't know that it's normal to bleed for a few weeks afterwards
0: oh Lockyer is that lovely name Lockyer yeah it's got its <laughs> own ugly name <laughs> Yeah, Lockia. and the, they go you might bleed for up to six weeks after birth and I was saying to John like I'm bleeding through you know massive like potato sack sanitary
1: towels you know yeah you they're, know. they're like mattresses between your legs
0: <laughs> you know the old kind of belt things in the yeah. 80s when I got a period you know and you think <laughs> I'm going to say John this can't be right yeah you know and, and you know because I was feeding, you know when I was in psychiatric unit yeah you know, which we talk about but I was like, but I thought this wouldn't happen if I was on my, pe- if I was breastfeeding and I thought it was a period. And then I found out it was this weird thing called lochia and it happens to everyone. And even now, honestly, I mean, i look at postpartum stuff all day, every day. You know, I can honestly say, I think you actually talking about bleeding after birth then is probably the first time I've heard about it in about three months, you know, because it isn't talked about. It mm. is, it, isn't, but it's really, it happens to you, because you think, oh, you know, have baby, and then you're left with this. You know, so you're feeding baby on sofa, doing this. Everyone come around to see you, but actually you're bleeding in your pants. You know, it's just all, and it, and mm. it can really hurt and be really uncomfortable, especially if you've had a vaginal birth as well. You know, people are saying they're sitting on bags of frozen peas, you know, while yes. a lot of it is are around them and you think well actually no there's not just one woman in Berkshire doing it that's happening to women kind of all over the world essentially
1: yeah so millions of women yeah we're lucky in that we're able to you know buy things like the donut thing that you sit on (laughs) (laughs) if you're privileged you can have access to that but you know so many women don't have have it no oh my goodness we've we've done a deep dive <laughs> into some grim stuff already but it's so good to talk about these things you know and I was so relieved the other day I saw something on a blog where you were talking about plucking out chin hair and you know I've, I've just gone through the menopause I, marks, and yeah, right. <laughs> I, I have stubble on my chin yeah, like a full-on beard yeah and, no,
0: and,
1: and the more I pluck the worse it comes
0: But you can't stop yourself plucking. So I have like a few here and I've got a random one here, which is really... For a hair,
1: yeah.
0: And it grows upwards. And I used to it all here, which seems to have moved down here. It doesn't seem to grow here anymore, but it seems to grow here. But I'm with you. I plucked a few yesterday and I can feel some sprouting here. But this definitely... I don't I don't recall having this before I had a baby and of course when I look back now at photos of when I was at like baby group when Joe was four months old and I was kind of recovering you know and like I've got all the new baby hair coming through that stops like here you know all this kind of weird stuff like, you, know, all the, you know the the horns that <laughs> Ew. you know. <laughs> what, what, I thought, I don't where did mean that come horrible. from where did it come from yeah you know I don't think my hairline's ever really recovered since that if I'm really honest like postpartum hair loss but no it's it's all these things that you it's like when I was pregnant when I used to wee like I used to feel like my boobs look different afterwards and I'd say to John constantly look the shape of them's changing when I've done the wee and I was like look at me before the wee look John was like well, okay what am I looking at and then I'd say after the wee, they look different, don't they? And I was like, no, I think they I think they look the same. And I'm still convinced my boobs look different after I was with you when I was pregnant, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was Googling, you know, do they change shape and size? And so, yeah, there's a whole raft of things. I think, one, we feel kind of ashamed to talk about because we don't hear about it. And, like, the lockier thing is one thing. And then, two, I think even though we're talking a lot more especially in the last six years I think since the awareness week as well started about emotions while you're pregnant or have to have a baby there are I think the the initials PND are kind of out there in everyone's in everyone's minds but I think all you need to do is look at a daily mail comment section when a you know someone in the public eye very bravely talks about their experience and you go to the comment section and you, you all you see is uh, there are a few brave women speaking out. You know, more should, you know, more should be doing this, and you know, help. This is really going to help women. But then you'll have five thousand and eleven other comments going. Women been having babies since 487 A.D. You know, they didn't have the resources to get depressed. You know, they didn't have time to get depressed. You know, women have babies. That's why they have hips. You know, like you just you know, and that old pull yourself together. I guarantee if there was a story written today in a in a major press paper or something and you go to the online comment section there'll be a raft of really idiotic Mm. comments about what as as if like you know women are kind of bringing this on themselves for attention and they're all a bit hysterical and all that kind of thing
1: yeah
0: we're not being thrown into asylums now you know for, for you know insanity after having a baby but we are essentially still at the, the realm of some public wolves who still don't quite understand mm. that this is a real thing and incredibly distressing and it's a thing that actually takes the lives of some women you know at
1: times and so those comments are disgusting and unacceptable and it has to be talked about and my most personal episode actually went out the Monday after mothering Sunday and that was an interview with my mum because exactly. she had P&D in the 60s and 70s and you know I don't think she's talked to anybody about this experience and you know gosh I was in absolute floods of tears just listening to all the awful stuff she went through and it wasn't talked about and it was just swept under and that silence that women were expected to carry is not a good thing I just think about how many women sort of from previous generations who weren't able to talk about these things it's not a good thing to stay silent and obviously everybody has their own way of dealing with things. Yeah. And I, I think your comment earlier about how we should have ownership of our stories and telling them in our own authentic ways, because right. a lot of women have birth trauma because they have been invalidated or not listened to throughout the birthing process. It is important to take ownership back about the things that have happened to you. There's always going to be those Daily Mail readers and so many are men. And you're just like what do you know about anything oh don't start me yeah <laughs> that's I, like, a whole another episode, whole episode. <laughs> the daily like, mail and why it's toxic
0: it is I mean it's and I just I do really worry and I think I mean this is just an off thing you know and it's just in case people are listening and think oh, I want to share my story of you know what happened to me you know and and it's such a brilliant thing and I think we need to but I think actually sharing it will hopefully then drown out these comments because it's getting out there more you know it, it's showing people that this is happening to so many people but you're right I think these comments come from something that hasn't been experienced by somebody who was kind of you know sat behind a screen and they also think that once they have some kind of insight into a glimmer which is what every story is it's a glimmer of what someone has been through over an, an extended period of horrible time and then they think they can comment it in such a in such a uneducated way about someone's personal experience now but I think I've definitely been told in the past and I know I've said this to you before where someone's kind of gone oh you know do you really think you should be describing it like that or oh, you've told your son what happened to you and I'm like well I'm not ashamed of it and also like if Joe reads something where He, where I've said, you know, I felt like I didn't want him. He knows that was my illness talking. It wasn't me talking. And you know, then you describe what mental illness can do, and oh, you know, and why it tells you untruths, and how you then get better. And I think if we hide these things and don't talk about them, and the things which can be upsetting or difficult, women are never going to have something to identify with. So when I was really ill, all I did, genuinely, was Google. not wanting to have a baby forever because I was so scared of that. You know, and I was desperate to find somebody who had felt that exact same symptoms as me. And of course you realise then, women are experiencing a raft of symptoms and they were all desperate to find somebody who's been through something similar to them to give them the hope of recovery. Yeah, so I kind of feel like we have to let women own their experience because it validates their experience and then it helps them to get better, to kind of say, Don't say that, don't describe it, we don't use that word. That's okay, you deal with it like that. But if a woman's sitting in front of you saying, I feel like I'm going nuts, I've got these really weird thoughts, I feel like I'm doing this, I'm scared of being the baby, I can't go to the kitchen, I'm scared of being near knives and stuff. You know, people do go, don't say that! And you think, well, how on earth? Like I say to women, go to the doctor. If you feel like you can't be around your baby because you're worried about something, you're not going to do anything, but know it's okay to say to your doctor, this is what I'm actually thinking. Because if you don't, then you don't get the help which can specifically help you to get better. And if we're saying to women, oh, don't say it quite like that, you know, don't say to the health visitor you're having, you know, weird thoughts about being around knives. Actually, no, you need to say that so they can say, you might be suffering from perinatal OCD. There are certain antidepressants that can help specifically. There's you know, there's there's really good OCD techniques. We shouldn't be, the more we shy away and the more we sanitize and tell women not to be their true selves the more women are not going to get the specific treatment they need to get better you know to get to get better and I think that's, I think and I, I think I get really passionate when I talk about that because I think the more we try and shut women down you know and tell them to be quiet even if we're not using those specific words that's what it is like going, don't say that oh we don't say do this and health this comes around don't say that to a doctor or you know healthcare professionals saying things in in different ways to how you said it to them then the woman isn't going to be treated in the right way mm. um, and the most important thing is that she is treated in the correct way to get
1: better absolutely and, and you make this very important distinction about that it's the illness it's not you mm. it's not you it's an actual illness and having that acknowledgement you know I, I know when I went to Liz Vise's support group to have somebody say it's not your fault you're having these intrusive yeah. thoughts or it's not your fault. That's a typical thing that happens with the illness and you're meeting other people going, I do that too or I think that too. It just normalises it and it's so important to know it's not your fault. It's not something that you've brought upon yourself. Exactly. Are you happy to talk about your birth experience? Oh yeah, of course. So obviously you had a, an incredibly... Traumatic, a difficult journey to having a successful pregnancy, and I'm so sorry for all the loss and pain that you you must have gone through. But again, it's it's that thing about the pressure that's put on it. If you do have a successful birth, you know you think this is everything that I've wished for, and when it doesn't go according to plan, or you don't have those feelings, that's a really hard thing to to come to terms with. So, so what happened with your birth experience?
0: Yeah, it definitely wasn't that thing, which I think you see and read now where they go, I had the baby and all the pain just went when they put it in my arms. I couldn't remember the 74 hours of pushing, <laughs> you know, and you think actually though, for some women that is their experience and we need to be like like as valid about that, uh, you know, as, as others. But I think that's not what happened to me and didn't happen to a lot of people. And I definitely did think what on... Water, this is not kind of how I was told in antenatal class it would go. So I had to have a planned cesarean because I can't give birth vaginally because I've got a, a double vaginal septum. And I was looked after incredibly well by the NHS when I was pregnant with Joe. I, I got a gynecologist who's kind of like a world leader in uterus delphus, which is what I have. And he saw me every week and he delivered Joe. i are still in contact with him now. He's like, oh, nice. like oh, world. Well. that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. He's lovely. He's really lovely. And, you know, and my caesarean was, I can't say, it was so gentle and lovely. Um, And uh, I like, I just, it was, you know, my birth experience was was lovely. And I felt incredibly looked after. Um, But it was, you know, I had him, they put him on me. I was sewn up, you know, and that kind of thing and kind of wheeled into the postnatal ward. And um, my mum came in after about half an hour. You know, they let kind of another visitor in. John was there, and Joe was next to me in this C3 kind of cot. You know my mum came in, and she if she was here now, my mum was saying she still says it occasionally now when she goes watches this morning and she'll phone me and go, Evelyn, there's a woman on. she wasn't very well after having a baby, and she'll go. The first thing I remember when I walked in to see you, Evelyn, um, she said I, I didn't look at the baby, which I soon she be like grandchild, you know, <laughs> wanting in, you know. Um, she said I looked at you and thought what's wrong with Evelyn and she said to me so I said oh hi mummy and she said Evelyn what's wrong with your face you know you, you look like oh what's the word she said I think I've said this so many times but she said she said something like you look like a zombie you look mm-hmm. like frozen over and I said oh well I've, you know I've just had loads of drugs I had a spinal um uh and she you know I was like do you want to hold the baby and she did but she was kind of looking at me while she was doing it and she said you know something doesn't seem quite right Evelyn and I do have this memory I, I gave birth that what was an old hospital in London at that point I looked over at these windows kind of looking at, because that's kind of how I was doing it here when my mum was here like where you are and um, I saw there were old like bars on the windows and I can remember thinking to myself I had this flash of a thought of my goodness if I wanted to get away from this situation right now I couldn't just climb out that window because there's bars on it but how would I escape and um that kind of flashed through my mind one mother was kind of looking at me you know um and that was a bit of a weird thought and I don't really at that point I was like "Mm, I don't know why I had that and it went I definitely realized I didn't don't think I was very interested in this baby that was lying next to me um but I knew that two hours before while I was being prepped I was really excited you know so I definitely felt this strange feeling um and then John had to I gave us Joe around half four and John kind of had to leave around half seven they wouldn't let him stay any longer and so when they said he's going to go now I was like can't he stay in the chair I think I just assumed he could stay in the chair next to me yeah. all night and they were like no he has to go now and I thought joking and we'd kind of been led to believe he was going to be allowed to stay and he wasn't so kind of you know he had to wave goodbye we didn't know what we could say or do and if he was allowed to stay or you know and no one else had anyone staying so I was a bit like oh this is what we do um and I realized I had like a catheter in so I couldn't reach Joe. and then I thought oh I'm supposed to feed him with my boobs and I was ringing the bell for a midwife and no one heard me and it was all really awful and eventually my daughter arrived at some point and I said, I don't think I fed him for about three hours. You know, and it was like, well, you're supposed to be feeding him all the time. And I said, well, I can't reach him. And I've been ringing the bell. And I just started to feel really frantic in my mind. I was like, it was dark, I was boiling. I don't know why maternity wards I like the Sahara. You know, I was the most boiling in the world. And I was like, I'm dripping everywhere. I want to go to the toilet, but I can't get out of bed because I'm attached to a catheter and it was dark, and I was hot, and it just felt like, I kind of felt like everything was just kind of going on like this, and in the middle of the night, Joe did this, I had the catheter taken out, and um, Joe was given to me, and he did a poo, which was black, um, and uh, a nurse came to see me, and she said, oh, where are your nappies, and like, this is where the bleeding comes, from. I was like, dripping on the floor, bleeding, because I had a pad that hadn't been put on me. I was going, Oh my god, my husband put the nappies somewhere. And I thought, I literally have no idea where they are. You know, it's the middle of the night. And she said, Oh, you know, you need to phone him and ask him where the nappies are. So I was like, you know, don't answer the phone, think something was wrong. I was like, I can't find the nappies, he's done a black coat. I'm bleeding everywhere. I'm really hot. You no. Know, and then I had to have a shower in these paper pants and I fell over in the shower. It was all just I can as I'm talking about you know, it was all just and I felt like my head had so much in it that I wanted to explode John said the next day when he arrived at the hospital I had sent him this rambling message um and uh, I do kind of yeah, you know from my blogs I do kind of write like I talk um but it was more than stream of consciousness it was kind of just absolute ramble of um you know this breastfeeding I don't understand this breastfeeding you need the clothes we've got have, you know don't fit him. you need to get this you need to make sure we put the nappies in a certain place like no punctuation just ever like mm. word vomit on this message and apparently I also did to one of my friends Rachel as well <laughs> she said a few years later you said something to me and so when he came in I think he was just kind of like what's going on um and you know we were there for three days and John had said to the nurses you know she keeps saying she's really hot but like it is what I'm here but she's like really hot and like her brain like she's sore here and there's a pain here um and at one point I was like crawling along the floor you know and John was saying to the nurses something doesn't seem quite right mm. um and when we left hospital I remember it so well I came out onto Whitechapel High Street and I just felt like i was in this tunnel with all this noise around me as if i was like this and i i i was in this kind of tunnel and we got into my sister's car to drive us back to where we live and i can remember what i what i thought i thought there were the car was surrounded by hundreds of people being shaken Mm. um, and in my mind loads of people going eve the baby the baby and I think like one person I knew came up actually in reality and went, oh, hello, we've got baby's beautiful. Congratulations. It won't overwhelm you. And John said, you know, well, we'll put Joe next to you while we drive home. And I was like, no, I've been with him for three days. It's fine. You can sit next to him and just stared out the window. And I realised now that was my very dramatic start in psych- you know, into psychosis. But I think in the days that followed, oh, God, I, you know, I thought, I just, I what I realised very much is that the second night we were back, we have a shop like there and John went to the local shop to get some bread and milk and I phoned my brother because um, I realised I didn't want to be on my own with Joe. I wasn't having any thoughts of hurting myself or him or anything like that. It was, uh, I realised I was quite frightened of being on my own with him and I didn't know why. Um, and when I phoned my brother, he asked me if I was drunk because I was slurring my words um, mm. and of course I wasn't. Um, And that night I said to John, I think the duvet cover is like dancing. Like I think I can see faces in the duvet cover. Um, And uh, John contacted the midwife next day, the house visitor the next day. Um, He said, oh, you know, we're on day three or whatever it was then. I can't remember, you know, Eve's obviously really tired. Got a midwife come around and John said, I've been looking at postnatal depression, you know, Eve's acting a bit odd around the baby. Um, she said, we don't diagnose postnatal depression until 12 weeks after birth. Why? Yeah. I don't, even know, I don't even know where that figure comes from. I haven't, you know, I've read every single journal. But, you know, I have no idea where that figure came from until now. Um, and then I kind of, at one point, could kind of see myself in the corner of the room, just up here. Like, I felt like I was looking down on myself. Mm. Um, but the main thing was, is that I basically it very quickly by like yeah day three four I was saying to John I think I'm scared of the baby you know, I think I'm frightened of the baby um and I don't want to be on my own with him and uh I realized I had this realization that my baby was now here forever um and once there's something's here forever they, it doesn't go away. Um and I said to John I feel very trapped by the idea of that. And uh, who uh, took me to see a GP when I was five days postpartum, who said to me, <laughs> he said, and if I was to say this about my own experience, that's good. But someone to say it to me, I was the thing that she said, I was a bit like, unless I'm thinking this specific thing she said, then I don't know what's happening to me. She said, um, do you want to flush the baby down the toilet? And I said, oh, well, no that's not what I've thought I'm like I'm I'm really scared of him now, and I wasn't withholding you know I wasn't kind mm. of like I was saying I, I don't I think I'm frightened of my baby I, and i realized that I don't think I want him here forever um but he is and I feel very trapped and she said well if you don't want to flush him down the toilet you know um you know I don't think we're in any kind of danger zone yeah and I was like flushing down the toilet is that what I need to be thinking is that what people and I was like you know my husband's been reading about depression um and stuff and it was like no no um and basically for the next six weeks poor John was taking me to the doctor's surgery about three days a week we were getting into casualty we had a crisis team out oh my god we had a health list throughout almost constantly um and John was saying you know I've been she's acting really odd and I was at that point I was like my mum had come to stay in our little one bedroom flat and she says there was a night where I would just lay in her arms saying, when will this feeling go away? Like in hysterics. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wouldn't go near the baby. I mean, I can't describe it. I suddenly felt like I was trapped in everything. So I was saying, I am I was trapped in the hospital and I couldn't get out of the window. Um, now I'm trapped by a baby who's here forever. And so and my mum was going, uh, go for a walk. You know, like, like, just. what about if you go outside? You know, you've been cooped up for days. And I said, oh, when I go out, I still feel like I can't breathe. And I started to feel like I couldn't breathe because was were the leaves on the trees. And then I said, if I get through the trees and then I can breathe air from the sky, I can't because the clouds are, ca- are trapping the, the clean air. Um, and, you know, my mum was like, OK. And I said to John, you know, and then if I get to the point where there's, like, space, like, uh, well, I, I, like, need to cut through the clouds to see if I can get to space to, like, not feel trapped. And then... I remember thinking, but space is never ending. So actually I can never even get out of that. So I'm completely trapped in that. And so this feeling of being trapped by the baby here forever, escalated horrendously, to this point where I felt like I was trapped in the world, trapped in my brain. I said to John, I feel like my mouth is covered in cling film, you know, I couldn't breathe. Um, And I was having full blown, I mean, panic attacks, but also hysterical kind of mania where I was just screaming constantly um and when he got to around six weeks I and mean, i've talked about this for hours all the things but we went to where john's parents live because um, poor john i mean he really was fighting for me you know, to get help mm. and, and when joe's around six weeks old he got a nice health visitor around he had been really nice to us but he said look you know i'm taking her to doctor service i've taken her to casualty and they've seen the absolute state she's in and, you know some doctors are saying, I've seen this before and it does get better. So John was like, oh, you seen how does to get better time. You know, time will get there. So John was like, yeah, but she won't go near our child. You know, she's saying she can see herself floating in the corner of the room. Sleep deprivation is a form of torture. That's what they do to hostages. You know, this is, a, you know, so he's getting all these lines and John was like, no, something's not right. Mm. It's Louis, not just that. It's not just that. And so when Louise, the health sister, came around, I remember it so clearly. She said to John, in all my years, I've not seen anything like this. Um, I was literally rocking saying, when will it go away? When will feeling go away? You know, the baby, baby, I'm trapped by the baby. I'm trapped by the baby. Um, And uh, John was like, I I, I need someone to give me some help. And she said, I do think there's a place where very unwell women after having babies can go, but I think you have to be really unwell. And John said, oh, I remember it so clearly because it was in this room. And John said, look at the state of her. Like, look at the state of her. And you know I was feeding Joe, but John would have to hold him to me, and I wouldn't look at him. You know it was all really, like, all really uh, wild. Um, so we went to see John's parents where they live in Nottingham, and um, uh, I had woken up in the middle of the night the first night we were there, uh, hysterical, like hysterical, like the neighbours could hear me. He took me to a middle of the night kind of walking centre that's there with Joe. And I think it was also to show, because obviously I needed to feed Joe, but also to show like, this is how she behaves around him. She doesn't look at him. She doesn't do anything with him. And we went in to see this doctor who didn't look at me in any way and was facing a computer screen. And I, I, I know I, we often hear, often hear you know, women holding their symptoms back. I said, I don't like him I don't like the baby he's here forever I don't think I want him I think I want him adopted but everyone's going to hate me if I get him adopted and you know and I'm definitely there are times that I float around and I really want to get away and I want to go through the clouds and move, you know and I was kind of streaming all this off and John was like exhibit a help and I remember she didn't look at me she looked at John and uh said has she planned her own suicide and John said well no, because she can't even get. I mean, I couldn't get dressed. I couldn't understand. I couldn't remember how to put my legs into leggings. I mean, that's when I know John was really like. But well, I didn't know how to put my own clothes on. And um uh, Johnson well, well no You know, I think she's suicidal. She's constantly saying she wants to die, but she hasn't planned her own suicide because I literally don't think she would. Her brain has the capacity to do it. And she said, "I remember it so clear. <laughs> I remember the building we were in." She says. Uh, Mummy, get some sleep, mummy. Mm. Um, let me get some sleep. Oh, I'm a person with a name, she'd call me it. Um, all seemed better in the morning time. And John was like, No, no, wow, that's, that's like <laughs> such a dismissal. Yeah. A real, so, and so, I wasn't looked at, and then she literally turned around and started trying to think, some notes up. And John was like, No, we are not leaving. So, after much kind of kicking off, and John is such a plastic man compared to me, but like after kicking off. Another guy, a guy doctor came in and said, uh, within about two minutes, he was like, bloody hell, she's really ill. Like at this hospital we're at, um, there is a psychiatric unit called a mother and baby unit. And John said, these are things I've been looking up. I've been saying this to people. You know, I've been using the word perinatal. People have been saying, it's no, no. And the only first time someone has kind of agreed with him was that Louise saying, oh, I think there's a I think there's a place people can go. So John said, mother and baby unit. Yes, this, this is where I think she needs to go. And he said, oh, you know, I'll give them a call, but I don't know if they'll have her because you're out of area. You know, so we went home and I woke up that morning and basically I thought I'd been buried alive in a coffin. You know, I was like, I I thought I was in a coffin and couldn't get out. Um, And I was walking up and down John's parents' stairs, up. And down, up and down, up and down, constantly, over and over and over again. And then I locked myself in the bathroom. I think I just wanted to get away from all the noise. I don't. I don't. I was just. I was in. I was reaching explosive mode. You know, John was banging on the door hysterically. And I came out and then I was like on all fours on his parents' bed screaming, somebody has to help me, somebody has to help me. And John phoned psychiatric outpatients at the hospital and just like held the phone out to me and said, like, we need some help. Um, he put me in the car, got me to psychiatric outpatients and just like didn't get to cash through or anything, just took me into psychiatrics, and was like, I need a psychiatrist to see her. And we saw a lovely psychiatrist, a junior psychiatrist called Dr Gandhi, who said, uh, yeah, you're really early. Let's let's go to this room and have a chat. And he wasn't condescending in any kind of way, but said, you know, just tell me what you can. I did. And then he said, do you mind if I talk to your husband? So he, I was like, he'd actually spoken to me first. And I said, no, please do talk to him. Um and then he said, you know, I we need to admit you immediately to this mother and baby unit. They don't tend to, and this is thing, but they don't tend to give the, the diagnosis of postpartum psychosis. You don't often get that as a diagnosis. And I kind of got that af- like afterwards, you know, but he said she's definitely displaying you know, psychotic elements at the moment with a huge anxiety and, uh, and we need to bring her in. And yeah, so at that moment I was like taken to the psychiatric ward. And on the way there, I said to John, I could smell burning. You know, all these like I was, I, I, I just, I, all these kind of weird things. And um, they showed me to a room. And even though I knew Joe would be there with me, I suddenly realised. And even though he hit, like he sleeps, we're sleeping in our room. I think I kind of thought that he wouldn't be with me while I was in my bedroom and I said to John I can't be on my own with him like I don't think anyone in here understands and I was saying to my nurse Debbie I don't think anyone understands I cannot be on my own with my baby I'm scared of him and they were like it's going to be okay what we'll do is there'll be a nurse outside your room you can keep your door open there's only other six rooms here of ladies experiencing maybe similar things to you you know there's mother and baby there's a really lovely there's like living rooms and a tea room and a kitchen a bathroom and you know and it's all very it's a home away from home, essentially, to make you feel comfortable. Um, but, yeah, I had, like, I had some kind of hysterical meltdown. when I was, I mean, I did have many, but that, yeah, I had to have, like, I was just in hysteria that Joe was going to be with me. Um, but a nurse outside my room, like, almost constantly, and I was in the bedroom near the nurse's office so they could look after me. And the next day, a doctor came and sat down with me and said, you know, we've been observing you for, you know, 24 hours. You know, unfortunately they couldn't get hold of any of my doctor's notes. So they kind of had to go from the beginning. Um, And they said, we're gonna uh, try you on like an old style antidepressant and and an antipsychotic. and uh, which they they don't kind of give out at doctor surgeries because it's their old medications, but we think this might work for what you're going through. And they kind of explained it to me, even though I was obviously like on the bed, like in some kind of, I don't know where my brain was, but they were saying it to me. And then they said, it's John and John was with me. Um, And uh, yeah, I kind of went on the meds and, nurses are, are around you all the time in a unit so if you wake up one's night the tv's always on you can go and sit with them and stuff like that and you have you have to do stuff with your baby and but if you do for like you can't have a baby around or you're too unwell to around your baby there's a nursery the babies can sleep in and things like that um and they let john stay till quite late at, at night so i felt comfortable because and we were in nottingham so we had like nothing with us so John drove to London in the middle of the night with his dad to get some stuff because obviously we realised we were going to be there for a few months because I wouldn't let him go while I was awake, you know, so I was like sedated at night time while he drove away and, uh, and came back. But I think after the end of the first week, my psychotic symptoms were slowing down and they said to me we're going to move you bedrooms Eve. there's an emergency case coming in and they're going to go into the bedroom that you're going in and I was like but I'm next to the nurses here and they said yeah but the bedroom's down there you know the nurses will come and see you every time and now I know what they were doing and actually there was an emergency case coming in but they were trying to wean me off needing their support and it's all done very gently and when I did move into this new room a week later um, there was a period and I, I've written about this so many times you've probably read it in the blog. I don't actually know the time. I've said before, 10 seconds, two minutes, five minutes. because so I don't actually remember how long it was. But um, a nurse shut the door in the bedroom, very gently. Um, and I was like, they not leave really the door open? And like, I was sat on the bed and I realized Joe was in his cot. And I thought, I'm on my own with him. And I kind of peered into the cot. And I thought, I'm on, I'm on my own with him. I'm on my own with him. And I kind of sat on the bed again. And then when John came in later, like the nurse said, like Eve's done something really, like really, really brave, um, and she's been on her own with Joe. And my mum had come in, and my mum was like, oh, Evelyn, you know, you've done a great, like a wonderful, you know, wonderful thing." And uh, you know, the nurses had kind of told her, you know, my mum knew not to go. She wouldn't have anyway, but she wouldn't have gone. What do you mean? Mothers should be with their babies. And my mum was like, "This is a wonderful, brave thing." And John said, I'm so proud of it And the nurses gave me cuddles. And I realised that was my start of what they call exposure therapy. It was, you know, to get me used to being with Joe. And uh, I had some home leave from the unit. And then, oh, that would a bit wrong, so I went back in. You know, then it went like I was too scared, uh, like, to, to be, like, at home in John's parents' house. I wanted to be back in the warmth and comfort of the unit. Mm. But then I was kind of given home leave again. And a community psychiatric nurse with Julia came to see me every day. And she would set me tasks, like, so that I would have to like go to the garden with Joe for ten seconds, and then I'd have to build up to going to the post office with him, you know, and had to build up all these tiny bits. And then the, the biggest one was after like three months, John was had to go to a Notts County game while I was at home on my own with Joe, you know, for ninety minutes and things like that. And um, and I think this one oh, I can't remember. I think we were there for a few months, and I think we came back to London when Joe was around four months old. And I realized now what a big step that was because this was the baby I'd been terrified of um and that was the start of our life you know of me getting better here and there were blips oh good god there were blips You know, in the july or something i think joe's born in the january in july i had a I wake up in a real dip and i thought it's happening again but you know i read this thing about how dark days come and, and go and actually in the end you know the dark days start to go but then if dark days do come you kind of understand how to process them and that kind of thing um And I really struggled to get kind of outpatient help here. The unit had sent our local mother and and our local uh, uh, psychiatric team um, like my details so I could get outpatient care, but the local team said they'd never dealt with anyone like me. So every week I had to go on a train to Nottingham to be seen by oh out on my own with Joe in the sling. Yeah. So I was really friendly at the deep end, but otherwise I would have got no, there was no Zoomy kind of things. And this is 12 years ago. They yeah, yeah. needed to see me with the baby, you know? So I realized now what brave I was like getting on trains. And of course, John was like, you're going to be all right. But I knew I had to do it to get support. But I shouldn't have bloody had to do that. It's ridiculous, you know? Um, and, uh, And then, you know, Joe, then Joe was one. And I think what I'd realised is that uh, we had a, um, there's a school at the end of our road with a children's centre attached to it. Um, A Homestart lady had come to see me, you know, they have like, Homestart's a great charity that supports families uh, who experience difficulties. She had gone with me to a mother and baby class, like acting as my mate, you know, and I went, so I didn't get to go on my own. And then I started to meet some girls who just had a baby who lived locally to me. And you know, it all started falling into place very slowly, slowly. Um, you know, I diagnosed with complex PTSD after it because it was so traumatising and I had EMDR therapy um, to help me get over it when Joe was around three. Um, I had EMDR therapy uh, and it kind of went from, it went from there and it was around when Joe was around four, yeah, 2014, that I kind of thought, I want to talk about what's happened to me, because those frantic Google searches I was doing, like one while I was in the midst of hysteria, but two also as I was recovering, you know trying to find somebody who'd been like me. Um I wanted to tell my story so someone else could if they had my symptoms, I wanted to read what I had gone through to see that I was
1: better um, and that you can recover that you can recover.
0: Yeah, and I think for me, it was a real for someone who was really nervous previously like an extrovert with her mates but very nervous like I I would vomit before meetings in work you know if I knew I had to do a presentation I I didn't even like the creeping death where you introduce yourself in a meeting there was something really pulling me to the fact that I wanted to share my story um but I wasn't around in like 2014 you know there wasn't there wasn't a lot one of the I remember finding an Australian website where they had like a whole um, page of uh, heads of women talking on videos. And I remember, and I'd click on them and I remember thinking, oh my God, this their website is like revolutionary. Like this is like unbelievable. I mean, thinking there's something I wanna do with my experience and talk about it. But of course the many women I, I've met through the years, you know, don't want to talk about it and that's okay. Um, you know, they want to, to move on or or talk about it in their own private way. But for me, I definitely worked out what parts of my experience I wanted to share. Cause obviously, there's some that there's there's not, and I'm very mindful that even though Joe is very aware of what happened, I also want to protect him, you know, from my some of my experiences being once I'm in the public eye. Your experiences then there to be picked up, in however people choose yeah.
1: to, be. Yeah. And
0: they, you know, they write headlines, and you can't stop that. Um, you know, so I chose what I wanted to share. And I knew that I needed to do something. And I think the first thing I the first thing I kind of focused on was the fact that I was like, why did we have to go to Bloody Nottingham to get me help? Um, and actually what we've realized now is there is a mother and baby unit fairly near to where we live. That was there while I was ill, but no one knew
1: about it, which was wow. ridiculous. You know, sort of the health service is crying out for resources and there was a resource available. There was a resource there that just... no one knew about. Wow. And
0: John was going, I think there is, you know, and they were like, no. But, so my first thing was to talk about, you know, the fact that we needed more mother and baby units. I think there were 15 at, at the time then. And then that increased to 17 in years. And I think now we have 21. And so that was my big kind of, you know, thing. And that's when we did EastEnders. That's what they kind of focused on and things like that. But, and then, yeah, then the awareness week was born, you know. So I think that's my like journey to motherhood. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I, and I do realise that this is the massively subbed down version yeah. I'm really excited to hear about the Maternal Mental Health Week that you've been instrumental in setting up because I think that's such a a great way of sort of keeping it on the agenda every year. And so in part two, we'll be talking much more about your work going forward. I think it'd be really great to understand the difference between postpartum psychosis and other perinatal illness like PND. Sure. So,
0: you know, postnatal depression there is a, a raft of different symptoms, you know, and I think there is this thing where people talk about if you have a, a baby and, you know, you feel weepy for the first few days and then that goes and that's the baby blues. And the majority of women experience that, you know, sometimes you know a week's worth of symptoms of, of feeling down and low and blue and their milk might be coming in. It's, you know, the, 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 the reality of that this is kind of your new life and, you know, that kind of goes, um, Postnatal depression is when those feelings continue um, and you might feel an incredible overwhelming sadness about life and you're, you're not sure why. You may feel full of regret um, with what you've done, um, anxiety, panic attacks, unable to sleep, unable to eat. Um, you, know, you might be having problems with breastfeeding, you know, and that's contributing to a feeling of guilt um I think it's important to talk about things like loss of libido some people say the last thing you're thinking about is sex you've had a baby actually for some people you know sex might have been a huge part of what the how they lived their life before and suddenly that feeling then going you know I definitely deal with women who kind of go my feelings and desires and urges that I had no longer are there I feel dead of them you know and I think it's really important we talk about that you know so it's that feeling incredibly overwhelmed with what's what's happening to you a sadness you can't shake you know the dark cloud of depression over you um you know a feeling of an interest in the baby or or yourself sometimes you know women present there's that thing of going hey you know does someone look like they've got pnd some people might suddenly switch from being incredibly made up to no longer being and then you think oh actually there's a there's a physical indicator of something happening but of course otherwise some people might Told themselves up in the same way as I did, you know, before. And they're trying to hide the feelings of like shame, guilt. Mm. That I don't feel in the way that I was supposed to feel. I didn't have the baby and the birds were singing and you know, and I'm watching this morning every day eating biscuits and having a great yeah. time. You know, actually I hate it. Um, you know, and I feel incredibly low. So that's kind of post-noted depression, you know, the feelings of, of being incredibly low after having the baby. Mm. Um, and I think you know it's between one in five to one in ten women experience you know these feelings postpartum psychosis affects around one in every thousand women who give birth um, uh, which is actually you know so it's not a lot. A rare, yeah it's not it's not as rare as people you know think and it's people sometimes describe it as the more severe form of postnatal depression but of course they're different illnesses they're both they both mental illnesses that affect you after having a baby but there's different symptoms and one of the biggest ones with uh postpartum psychosis it is a psychiatric emergency because essentially you can be flipped into another reality you know so your experience like i've discussed you know hallucinations mania um you know some people have visions that their baby is is god or has been sent to them you know they might be hearing voices um you know might be seeing uh certain imagery in their brain that's not normal i was uh uh, manically creating lists you know writing things without punctuation talking incredibly quickly you know the feeling that um that this is kind of like that you're out of your own reality and I think the thing that like action on postpartum psychosis are a really good charity and they have a really good kind of like uh infographic I'll send it to you of you know if someone and in really simple terms if the woman in your life has just had a baby and she's acting strange you know they basically say it like mm. that like you need to take her to casualty but you know it is a it is the whole I would sit here going you know I can see things floating I can see things floating you know mm. like and then just kind of you know some women who experience psychosis as having a baby go catatonic you know and don't speak um uh you know i refuse to go to the toilet for a week uh, i thought something you know something would happen if i went to the toilet so it's a it's this other scale of hallucinations mania um you know which is is different to kind of post-natal depression mm. and then you've got perinatal or it might also be known as maternal OCD um, which I knew nothing about until I had Joe and started doing my work you know which is um, you might have obsessive and compulsive thoughts um, or experience intrusive thoughts um, you know feelings of harm towards yourself or your baby some women experience sexually intrusive thoughts where they're gonna think they're gonna touch their baby inappropriately which of course there's not what they want to do and they're not going to do it but they're incredibly distressing intrusive thoughts that go mm. into your mind or you might have obsessive behaviors you know such as wanting the house to be incredibly clean and sanitized for your baby not wanting your baby near anything with batteries in it you know in case they explode. Yeah. And you actually can't leave the house because these things consume you. Um, you know, same as postnatal anxiety used to kind of be lumped into postnatal depression. But actually we realise now that anxiety is a whole illness on its on its own. You know, the deep fear of, of having the baby. What do you do now? Anxious about feeding the baby the right things. You know, the, the, the kind of feeling that you're not doing anything right, panic attacks, riddling you, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, feeling that like you don't want to leave the house in case you have a panic attack or you do leave the house and have a panic attack, um, you know, so there's these, thankfully now we don't just say PND, you know, PND to every woman, you know, that's why I always yeah. say talk about your specific illness, your specific symptoms, because there is probably something, you know, no one likes a label, but what you're experiencing will have a title somewhere in nice guidelines that a doctor can go oh she's experiencing these kinds of thoughts uh you know so like when the doctor said to me do you want to flush the baby down the toilet she probably was saying something like are you having visions of hurting your baby but said it in a different kind of way but at that point I was like I don't know what the hell I'm doing you know I, I don't know who I am what I am I couldn't get myself dressed everything's zooming around my head you know but I think it's you know, postnatal depression, postnatal anxiety, antenatal depression. You know, feelings of uh, you know terrible kind of unease and feeling low, incredibly blue while pregnant. You know, feeling that maybe you don't want to have the baby anymore. What have you? What have you let yourself in for? You have more children and you're pregnant again, and it was unexpected. And feeling incredibly low while pregnant. You know, that's antenatal depression. You know, so it's there's a different there's a raft of what we class as perinatal mental illnesses and. um I think it's important we talk about all of them because there are specific treatment options, you know, for kind of the, the the different illnesses.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think it is something that I want to explore more and more with this podcast. You know, I specifically want to look at tokophobia, which is the phobia of giving birth.
0: Oh God, yeah.
1: Maternal OCD. I'm going to be speaking to a guest soon about navigating motherhood with ADHD. You know, there are so many yeah. different things, and oh my God, I could talk to you for hours, Eve, you are a walking encyclopedia. (laughs) And it's so wonderful to hear you talking so eloquently and passionately about something that was so, so, so life destroying. And yet here you are functioning brilliantly and a real success. You're achieving everything you're doing. And I think it is such an inspirational message to mums and dads out there who are a feeling like this to know that you will get through it and you will come through it and that experience will have led to an awful lot of growth and change that is in many ways a positive thing so hang on in there
0: oh yeah absolutely yeah I completely agree
1: thank you so much my god you've been amazing you've made me cry so I'm so sorry that this happened to you but in a way I feel grateful that you're now spreading the message in such a prolific way that it's helping hundreds and thousands of women out there. So I'm an of you. Thank you. Oh, that's fine. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. If you enjoy this episode of Blue Mum Days, please rate and subscribe. It only takes a minute, but it genuinely makes a difference to how many people can find it, which means helping more parents in need. Thank you.